Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, halfway through the month of September, and we have great news for you, especially if you're a parent. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about some parent stories here in the first hour. And this is also important for, uh, well, grandparents as well, because more and more parents are relying on grandparents for helping out in terms of child rearing, child raising, daycare. In some cases, I think there are at least 6 million grandparents right now in the United States that are are primary care providers for their grandchildren, if not already adoptive parents. Uh, Rick Johnson has an outstanding book on that when his um, son passed away and he wound up uh, inheriting custody of his granddaughter. You know, kind of going through all of that uh, has just been uh, quite an ordeal for Rick. But um, yeah, wound up moving from Oregon to Texas. It's just, it, there's a lot going on. But in the culture right now, it's amazing when parents actually stand up and say, you know, parenting is good. Kids have value. We want to do what we can to protect their lives. And nowhere do we see this under attack more than in two places. One is just the sanctity of human life as it comes regarding the preborn. And the other is what happens to when you've got kids who are, uh, born in preschool and elementary school and whatever. Um, let's start with the, uh, the, the second uh, part of that equation. No, let's start with the first one. Uh, the first part of the equation with regard to the preborn. Our friends at preborn would totally agree with this first story. Um, in case you haven't heard, uh, there is a family by the name of the Kardashians. Perhaps you have heard of them. Uh, Chris uh, Kardashian uh, was married to Robert Kardashian for years and had uh, a couple of daughters with him. And there was another uh, dalliance that produced a third daughter. And then they divorced. And then she married Bruce Jenner. And uh, they had a couple of kids. And then Bruce decided he wanted to be a girl. And so now he's living as a woman, even though he's still Bruce Jenner in God's economy. And the Jenner family, Kardashian family, launched this whole reality network, basically, that has capitalized over the past 20 years on taking being famous for being famous to a whole new level. Um, Of course, because of the notoriety that she received when Robert Kardashian was O.J. Simpson's attorney uh, during that whole bit back in the mid-1990s, Chris knew how to get headlines. And when she was married to Bruce Jenner, they knew how to do it. But they kind of launched into the whole reality television world in ways that we'd not seen before. Reality TV had been Survivor. It was Big Brother. It was, you know, trying to catch people in the act of just being themselves. So we felt like we, you know, the the audience was really part of the entertainment. What we didn't realize is that the reality TV boom actually got its big bump, if you will, back during a Writers Guild strike about 25 years ago. And the reason reality shows became so popular was because they could bypass all the union rules. They technically didn't have any official writers working on the shows. I mean, that, that's the, the simple economic reason. Then they became popular. The Kardashian family took it to a whole new level. When Kim Kardashian um, was engaged in a sexual encounter with her then boyfriend, someone made a videotape of it. The videotape was released, and rather than running and hiding and trying to deny it, the Kardashian family started cashing in on it. And it's just been a fascinating phenomenon over the past 20 years to see how the Kardashians have become. I think the term that we use now in the social media world is influencer. Um, 
where you know we you everyone knew that if someone was an actor, athlete, whatever. Remember, <laughs> I, I still think of my my oldest and dearest friend from childhood. I was two and he was four when we moved in their neighborhood. We've known each other ever since. So, sixty year friendship. Uh, my friend Anthony uh, was a is an engineer. Worked for Caltech, JPL. Um, is a college professor. Graduated from high school. He he went to St. John Bosco Tech, which is a five year program, and I think he finished it at age seventeen with a high school diploma and a, uh, an associate of arts degree. Had his master's by the time he was 21. Just brilliant guy. Not athletic at all. And yet he loved baseball. And every time we'd get together, he'd want to play baseball. And we'd, we'd throw the wall back and forth. And, uh, you know, he, he's really into bike riding. Just a lanky, skinny dude. I'll never forget. Remember the Joe DiMaggio commercials? Or DiMaggio, depending on how you produce it. For Mr. Coffee? Remember back in the day? Um, he was a spokesperson for the Mr. Coffee coffee maker, one of the first, you know, kind of part, not brew it into a, you know, the coffee uh, percolator thing and then pour it out, but it was a whole different way of filtering it. I'll never forget the day we were playing catch back and forth, and he was laughing at the fact that uh, he wasn't much of a baseball fan. And he said, Roger, I just got to admit to you, he goes, I never knew that Mr. Coffee played baseball. I've never forgotten that phrase. But, you know, you knew that if somebody was an actor, an actress, politician or something, they could they could do a commercial and you'd say, oh, yeah, I know that person because they're famous. And they had some notoriety. I mean, Joe DiMaggio, 56-game hitting streak, baseball Hall of Famer, World Series champion. We all knew that. The Kardashians were a whole different breed. Kim Kardashian became famous because she had a sexual dalliance and wound up posing in a men's magazine. But now if you look at her on Instagram and social media, they launched this reality TV program called it brilliantly Keeping Up with the Kardashians, like Keeping Up with the Joneses. And a whole slew, millions of people follow Kim and Chloe and Courtney and Kendall and Kylie. I think they're all K names, of course, good for branding. And their exploits. So the oldest of the five sisters... And there's a brother in there too. Rob kind of stays out of the spotlight. The oldest of the five sisters, though, made him. Why, Roger, it's Good News Friday. We are a Christian radio station. Why are you talking about the Kardashians? Let me tell you. Because when an influencer has a situation happen, a crisis, if you will, come into their lives, I always watch to see how the world's going to react. I remember that one, was it Kylie Jenner? Yeah, she's the older of the two of Chris Kardashian and Bruce Jenner, back when Bruce was Bruce. Uh, she's an influencer. Her sister's a model. Her sister actually does, like, modeling. Um, but Kylie just gets in front of the camera. And it, I remember reading a piece where she was talking about finding out she was pregnant and looking at the ultrasound and the baby's heartbeat and talking about every stage during the pregnancy. And I thought, this is one of the most powerful pro-life statements you'll hear because millions of young girls are going to watch Kylie Jenner on her Instagram talking about her baby in the womb and start thinking, hey, you know what? That is a baby there. That's not just a bunch of tissue. Our friends at Preborn would tell you the very same thing. When you call 833-850-BABY, make that $28 donation. Uh, one woman gets her ultrasound uh, covered. That's pregnancy test, ultrasound, the pictures, the consultation, everything. And once you go to Preborn and become part of the Preborn family, you now, this is a two-year commitment. Preborn offers these programs for no cost to the woman. 
if you're putting a child up for adoption, that, you know, with you every step of the way in the pregnancy and the years after that. $28 per visit for that ultrasound. So you want to save a child's life? 28 bucks. You want to save five children? 140 bucks. You want to save 10? 280. We've had a couple of bottom line show listeners recently. There was an $840 donation. That's 30 kids. I don't know if Milton, the guy who gave that donation, is a school teacher and said, I got 30 kids in my class. Here we go. That, that's a good way to think about it. Or Lisa and I do a parent, grandparent type of thing. We've got six kids and four grandchildren. So that's how we handle that. Uh, when we make our one-time donations, in addition to our two kids per month that we sponsor. Um, and then if you want to make a donation of $15,000, that provides another ultrasound machine for um, a, a pre-born clinic. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229 is the number to call. Make that donation right now while you're thinking about it. Courtney Kardashian is pregnant. She is the oldest of the Kardashian sisters. Kim Kardashian has four children. Uh, younger sister, Chloe has two. Kim has three with her first fella, a guy called Scott Disick. I don't know if they ever got married. But now she is, Courtney is married to a man by the name of Travis Barker. Uh, he is the drummer for a rock band called Blink-182. You may or may not have heard of them. He's worth $50 million. Don't ask me how. I could not name three Blink-182 songs if my life depended on it. He's covered in tattoos. He's kind of a funky-looking guy, but then again, that's his job, right? Well, he was on tour recently. Yeah, they were in Glasgow. They were in Belfast. They were supposed to be in Dublin. And last week, it was announced that they had to reschedule those shows because of a family emergency, a medical family emergency. Pictures emerged then of Travis and Courtney uh, first in a hospital room, Courtney's in a hospital bed, then she's holding her husband's hand, and then they show them walking out. Here's the official statement on Instagram. This is from Courtney Kardashian. As someone who has had three really easy pregnancies in the past, I was not prepared for the fear of rushing into urgent fetal surgery. I don't think anyone who has been through a similar situation can begin to understand that feeling of fear. But I have a whole new understanding and respect for the mamas who have had to fight for their ba babies while they are pregnant. I will forever be grateful to my incredible doctors for saving our baby's life. There was a medical emergency. She's about six months along, I guess, seven months along. And she was rushed to the hospital. And in the hospital in Southern California, the doctor performed emergency fetal surgery on her baby boy, who is still in the womb and is healing up nicely. At the end of the post on Instagram, Kourtney Kardashian wrote the following. Praise be to God. I am walking out of the hospital right now with my baby boy in my tummy. Knowing that he's safe is my truest blessing. Now, the next time someone tells you it's a cluster of cells, the next time someone tells you that it's no big deal, that babies don't feel pain, that you should be allowed to abort a child all the way up through birth, labor and delivery. 
we'll put this story up from CNN up at thebottomlineshow.com. Why not pull it up together and take a look at it and read it and discuss it? Gosh, why do you think Kourtney Kardashian kept referring to the baby as her son? Why did she talk about fighting for his life? What kind of surgery could a doctor do on a clump of cells? Those are all fair questions to ask, I believe. And I think that we have a perfect opportunity to make the most of every opportunity to then share the sanctity of human life and the good news of the gospel with somebody who just may not understand it right away. But this story might be the thing that God uses to open their eyes. We'll put a link for this story up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, the sanctity of human life and more good news as it pertains to people who are fighting for the dignity of human beings who are children and the parents who are trying their best to protect them. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we're so grateful uh, for the good news out of the uh, hospital in Los Angeles, where Kourtney Kardashian and her husband, Travis Barker, uh, have now left safely with uh, their preborn child in tow. Uh, their son needed emergency surgery, and uh, the doctor was able to perform the surgery in utero, as it were. And uh, it's just another example of the... The people that say, we've got to have abortion, you know, to keep it legal. What happens if the baby's life's at risk or the mother's life? What, what are we going to do about that? Uh, you know, we, we just have to abort the child. And here was a doctor who said, we don't have to abort the child. We can actually perform surgery on the child in the womb to correct a life-threatening problem. But don't just take my word for it. Listen to Courtney Kardashian tell you, because she's the one with the story. You know, it's amazing how many surgeries are beneficial for children, especially in the womb in this case here. And there are other surgeries that are not beneficial. I'm talking about transgender, gender reassignment surgeries and things like that for eight and nine and 10 and 12 year olds. Absolutely not. It's a whole different conversation when someone hits their adult years, goes through years of counseling, and I still don't think they should be changing genders, but I really hate the fact and i it's nice to see people in the lgbt community standing up against this too that children should be subjected to this type of teaching um orange unified school district holds a very special place in the marsh family because my mom taught in orange unified for 26 years she taught at handy elementary school she was mrs marsh in room 12 taught first grade for 25 years and one year she taught a k through and first grade combination class um, Orange Unified School District voted last week 
to do something that has been called controversial. Um, it's something that uh, the LGBTQ community is saying it's going to be harmful to kids. And basically all it is is a parental notification bill. And it's just, it's interesting to me how the left has adopted this language of hate and violence and vitriol and angry rhetoric simply because a culture of people are saying, hey, here's the deal. When we're born, we're not assigned to gender. Your body comes out looking a certain way. Your DNA tells you if you're male or female, the way God created you. The transgender argument is predicated on the fact that gender is fluid. It's fluid until you say it stops. Right. I, I like the I like the Joe Rogan mentality that says, OK, well, if you are a boy and you say there's a woman trapped inside your body, I am all in favor of letting that woman out. But why do you need to add all these things and why do you need to subtract all these things and why do we need to create this different life? I mean, I'll tell you, I mean, having met a few people who have undergone that type of transference, um, basically the women look like guys but they're still women. They look like women trying to look like guys, and the guys look like guys trying to look like women. But the idea that someone at seven, eight, nine years of age needs to undergo uh, hormone replacement therapy and surgery and things of that nature, um, no, it's just, it's not right. And the fact that there are school districts that are working so hard to keep parents out of the loop now, that doesn't make any sense. On the one hand, it's the parents who are leading the charge. Oh, I, my son's really a girl and we need to have transgender surgery. But if your kid comes out to you at, you know, and you're a coach or a counselor or school psychologist or whatever, then you're not supposed to tell mom and dad why. Because they'll, it'll be a violent situation for you at home. That's what the LGBTQ activists tell us. Oftentimes, what that really means is mom and dad will disagree. And ultimately, mom and dad have that responsibility for that child. So more and more school districts are really coming to terms with it. And churches, please pay attention. If you are the principal of a Christian school or if you are the youth group leader or whatever, this issue will come up. One out of every five members of Generation Z or the Zoomers, if you will, identifies as transgender. Either they want to change their gender, make it that fluid, or they identify with a friend of theirs who is. And so transgender rights and misgendering names and all that stuff is a huge deal to them. Last week, the Orange Unified School District met to discuss what would our policy be? How are we going to handle this? If a child comes to a teacher or a coach or a school counselor and says, you know, I know my birth certificate says Jeff, but I really want to be called Janet. Um, I identify more as a girl than a boy. Um, what role does the school have in notifying the parents? Now, there are some people that say, well, that's not fair to the teacher. It's not fair to the principal. It's not fair to anybody else. They shouldn't have that responsibility. That should be, be between the parent and the child. And I would say between the parent and child and God. But isn't it interesting how so many transgender activists have been pushing for the let's make school a safe place. Remember that, that girl in, uh, was in Miami area. She was in the state of Florida who was told by a couple of friends, hey, you're kind of a tomboy, you like to hang out with skater guys, you like to play video games, maybe you're a guy. And so when she went to the school counselor for guidance, everything she saw in there was about LGBTQ rights. Apparently the woman was a lesbian and she spent the next eight months effectively grooming her. She would say counseling her, but grooming her to become transgender, referring to her as a boy and bro and dude and calling her by a, a boy's name. But it wasn't until 
the counselor started doing so in front of other students that the girl became despondent and she attempted to take her life not once but twice. And it was on the second suicide attempt that the school in Florida finally reached out to the parents and said, you need to do something about your daughter because she keeps trying to kill herself. Not that the school had anything to do with it. And the reasoning the girl gave to her counselor for why she was afraid to tell her parents that she thought she might be transgender was they were very devout Catholics and she said, they'll throw me out of the house. They'll hate me. And now, of course, once the parents were notified, they were filled with love, compassion. We've got to help you work through this, you know, and they did what any good loving parent would do. But in a time when gay activists can convince people that Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, is a hate-filled homophobe because of the don't say gay bill, which basically just says we will not have any kind of LGBTQ plus curriculum in grades K through three, teachers will not be discussing it and all. If the kids talk about it on the playground, they're going to talk about it. But the idea that you're trying, again, it's all safety, safety, safety. Well, Orange Unified had a rather heated meeting. There were folks on both sides of the aisle uh, arguing back and forth. And in the end, they voted to adopt a policy that would require school staff to notify parents. If a child starts to identify as transgender or gender nonconforming, and the teacher sees it and their request is made, you know, call me they or, you know, whatever, the teachers now have to take action. What does that mean? And why am I reporting this to you on a Good News Friday segment? Well, I think it's good news the way it's written. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law fights for your rights inside and outside the courtroom. As an experienced trial attorney, Stephanie knows that litigating inside a courtroom often costs you more in terms of money, stress, and time. That's why, for the client's sake, she will work hard to settle without the need for a costly trial. Stephanie consistently led her firm in settled cases each month. Because Stephanie worked for insurance companies for decades, she knows how to talk to them. Her knowledge of the insurance process means she's highly qualified and even enjoys talking to insurance adjusters and attorneys on your behalf. Stephanie challenges them with tough questions and holds them accountable for your benefit. When you're in an accident, you want an attorney that will protect your rights and get you the settlement you deserve. Call the attorney who knows the insurance company's processes inside and out and will fight for your total compensation. Call Stephanie Cover at Cover Law today at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or just go to kbrightradio.com slash cover today. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. The good news out of uh, Orange Unified School District today is that we are reporting that last week, the uh, Orange Unified School District Board of uh, Trustees actually got together and had a board meeting and adopted a policy that would basically uh, place the onus of informing parents or guardians that uh, if a child starts acting in a gender nonconforming way or asks to be called, you know, if a, if a girl says, call me him or whatever, that it is the onus is on the student to or rather on the the teacher or the staff member to basically inform um, uh, the information here's here's how the policy is going to work the policy currently right it as written requires that if a student under the age of 12 wants to identify a gender identity different than the one specified on their birth certificate that student would be sent to the school counselor or psychologist for an evaluation the, who that information would then be reported to the principal and the principal would then have 
five days to notify parents unless school staff has reason to believe that doing so would present a clear and present danger to the student. Now, this is there are three other school districts in the Inland Empire that have done this. And again, understand that ultimately it's the parent's responsibility for the child's well-being. This is pretty radical. If a girl is born a girl, birth certificate says girl, her name, girl. She's been a girl and female all through her uh, school existence. And she hits fifth grade, sixth grade, age 10, 11, 12, and says, start calling me he, start calling me they, this, that, and the other thing. Um, the parents need to know. The chain of command here looks pretty straight ahead. I mean, think about it. If the child does this, they're under the age of 12 and they want to identify a certain way. They have to talk to the school counselor or psychologist. That information would then be reported to the principal. And then the principal has five days notice to notify the parent. Now, if the principal suspects that doing so might lead to violence or whatever, that, or what they call a clear and present danger to the student, then the principal has the right and has the flexibility to say, it's not going to happen. It's interesting because Greg Goodlander is the president of the Orange Unified Education Association. And the first thing he had to say, it had nothing to do with safety. We're going to use caution, of course, but he said, here's the deal. We have to wonder about what the cost will be to the school district to fight this thing in court. And he said, you know, right now we need to know that this policy will actually increase learning or student achievement. We don't see any evidence of that right now. Now, he didn't say identifying them, outing them, if you will, or letting the kids live as transgender. And I appreciate the fact that he brought it back to the fact that the goal of the school and the district and the education is to teach kids so that they will learn how to be thriving and happy adults. Obviously, if a kid's wrestling with gender dysphoria, that's something that has to be taken into consideration. But the question then for the public school is at what cost? And you know what will happen as we see more and more students leaving public education and moving into private education or homeschooling, uh, the public schools are going to have a much greater issue to deal with than just that. We'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. I say kudos to Orange Unified for taking a stand at least that says we want to make sure the kids are protected and that their parents are informed. Um, on the other side of this break, it's no secret that mom puts in a lot of time working with kids and dad kind of sits on the sidelines sometimes as like backup mom doing whatever he can to kind of figure out what to do. If you're a dad or if you're a grandfather who is looking for some wonderful uh, fun night activities to do with your kids or your grandkids, Jay and Laura LaFoon have the book for you. It's called Ultimate Dad Night, 75 Amazing Activities for Dads and Kids. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. On the other side of this break, Jay and Laura and I will talk about this fantastic opportunity. It's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. One of the more challenging roles to play in the culture right now is that of a dad. Um, dads have a huge responsibility that they play in the lives of their kids. Um, and, and grandpas are stepping up and filling in some of these gaps as well. But, you know, quite frankly, when it comes to the way family life is compared to when I was raising my kids, boy, I'll tell you, there are so many more chances, more opportunities for people to not have meaningful time, especially in the dad department. And that's why I'm grateful to have come across a new resource. And the couple who are responsible for this book are joining me today on the program. Jay and Laura LaFoon 
are really working toward helping busy couples stay happily married for life. They have been, uh, they, they founded and have been running Celebrate Ministries Incorporated back in 1995. They've been doing this for three decades now. And uh, they, they have marriage events. They're a lot of fun. They're lighthearted, but there's always a serious message behind it. And they have a brand new book out called Ultimate Dad Night, 75 Amazing Activities for Dads and Kids. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jay and Laura LaFoon, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Good to be here. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. We're so grateful to have this time here because let's, I, I'm just going to cut right to the chase. And Jay, you can vouch for this or Laura, if you want to jump on here too. When it comes to dads doing anything at home, you know, whether you're doing something nice for your wife or for your family or for your kids, if we don't know how to do it, we're going to back away from it. Right. I mean, yep. if we don't, yeah. if we can't get it right the first time. Yeah. It's just guy 101, isn't it? Yep. Cause you don't want to fail. I mean, I think that's a big, that's a big thing for dads and, you know, we don't want to be seen as a failure in the eyes of our kids or our wife. Right. And so if we can't do something well, I'll give you a perfect example. I'm not a real big board game person because I can't win every time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, been there, so, done that, bought the shirt. Sure. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, well. yeah so we wrote this book because we want to make it easy for dads to succeed. We want to make it easy for grandpas to, if they're filling in or uncles or uh, even, you know, if you're a big brother, big sister kind of a thing. Um, very simple ways for you to have small successes with your kids and really build upon that to, to create a growing relationship. Laura, why is it so important for dads to take the lead on some of these things? I mean, I know there are a lot of dads, quite frankly, in the church especially, who will say, okay, all I have to do is wait for my wife to give me a shopping list, so to speak. And as long as I can knock off everything on the list, I'm doing my job as a dad. But I think kids really especially, and I'm sure moms, wives love to see their husbands take the initiative on that. Talk about that why that's so important absolutely you know i think for moms it seems to be easier for us to just i don't know if it's because we share ideas with friends or we see friends you know on social media doing this that and the other with their kids are like oh i can do that where like jay said dads are afraid to fail and so it's really important as moms to be able to see our husbands take some leadership with our kids um, it's natural for a mom. We've got that nurturing instinct. I think it's the way we, I know it's the way we've created. And not that men don't nurture, um, but that's not normally a word you would use with a man. You know, men want to go out and have fun shoulder to shoulder. And, and so it's really important, I think, for moms and wives and grandmas to be able to see their husbands take the lead and do some memory-making activities with their kids. I think Laura hit it on the head when she said shoulder to shoulder, because I think uh, just, again, in general, we're generalizing here, but women tend to be face-to-face. -face. They want to sit across the table and have coffee with a friend. Right. Men want to be shoulder-to-shoulder. -shoulder. We want to go out and play golf or go fishing or, or whatever it is that we like to do. We want to do it beside another man, and I think the same is true with our children. You know, we don't want to necessarily sit face-to-face. -face. We want to go do something with them, um, and in that doing, we create memories. We can have teachable moments, all sorts of very positive things but it's just taking the time to do it. Jay and Laura LaFoon are my guests today here on The Bottom Line. We're talking about their brand new book called Ultimate Dad Night, 75 Amazing Activities for Dads and Kids. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jay, you've succeeded at all 75 of these events, I take it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in the book. Uh, <laughs> when, how did you... I was going to say... There by Laura. 
very subtle hints. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good. Well, that was my next question, because, I mean, obviously, you know, dad wants to take the lead. But if dad's looking at this book and saying, OK, that's a good idea. Well, rock climbing, maybe that's our th- bonfire. I can do that. You know, I guys, I was in my early 40s before I l- learned how to actually light a bonfire because a dad who is a neighbor of ours, we were all down at the beach. And he, he was really big into scouting and stuff like that. And so I was charged with lighting the fire and realized we didn't camp when I was a kid. So, I mean, I didn't know how to do that. And he kind of pulled me aside and said, you kind of make the little teepee like this. You know, it kind of showed me. And it was so great to have that shoulder to shoulder moment with my friend Kevin, because then yep. back at our home, we got a little outdoor, you know, rock type stove thing. And I was the fire starter, man. I mean, we did s'mores every night. The weather was good. But it was it was one of those oh. things. I know that my kids look back and say, loved it when dad made s'mores. But that was something where I needed that kind of help. And I didn't even think that I, you know, it was going to happen that way for me, but I'm really glad that it did. Talk about as you were putting this list together, some of them I'm sure just flew right down on the page and said, yeah, that's a, that's a no brainer. But I'm sure there were some others on there that you kind of went, oh yeah, that would be a good one for dads to do as well. Yep. For example, um, one of the ones that I really enjoy when it comes to working with little children, that was one of the things we did. Let's, let's get some activities for dads with children that are under the age of eight. Let's get some activities for dads of the eight to 12 year olds and some activities for the, the teenagers. And one of them um, when that we got from a friend uh, is, is to do with the little ones, and that is to build a birdhouse. You know, you can go to any hobby store and you can get mm-hmm. a little kit to b- build a birdhouse. Mm-hmm. Well, I am, I am home improvement challenge, so I would have never thought of that <laughs> because I can't right. put it together. And, uh, um, but my friend said that they did this, and I'm like, that's a great idea and a wonderful thing if, if you've got any kind of handyman in you at all to, to teach your kids how to build. Um, very simple construction, but yet, you know, very memorable experience. And so uh, we not only gleaned from stuff that, that my dad did with me, that Laura's dad did with her, and that we did with our kids, but then we talked to friends. What are, what are some of the fun things you've done to make memories with your kids? And, uh, boy, 75 we could have we'll, we'll write another book the next 75 amazing <laughs> you know it's interesting laura jay was just talking about building a birdhouse you know i was talking about building a fire we were talking about things that we could actually make and have a tangible result but then he also used the m word too and i'd love for you to kind of uh, give us a woman's perspective help the guys understand we can be so task oriented in terms of thinking okay well i have to get something done we've got to mow the lawn we've got to repair the whatever the heck it is but the memory part of it you know this is where i think where where wives can really come alongside their husbands and say hey you know not only are you building a birdhouse you're making memories right exactly and that is why we wrote the book the way that we did you know not only do we give you the activity and we give you a little key as to whether how much effort it's going to take how much money it's going to take uh, what age appro- it's appropriate for but we how, also how give, long it's yeah, going to take, long it's gonna take. <laughs> yes but we also some some guided conversation there for you because so often I think dads I know for Jay when it came to our son he knew exactly what to say how to say it you know he didn't have any problem having a conversation with our son but when it came to our daughter Ooh. he would be like you say this to her you say this to her. Yes. no you say this. there's just this fear of saying the wrong thing and so we really did put some guided conversation starters and questions in the book with each activity and we also did some. Um, devotional type thought that you could, you know, do with your kids. We had one of our friends who took his girls out and they laid on a blanket under the stars and they talked about how close God is and how amazing God is that he creates the the stars in the sky. And so just little things that allow you, it's not 
mind-blowing conversation. It's not difficult, deep conversation, although it could get that way. Um, but really trying to guide the dads and the granddads and the uncles to just, it's not rocket science. It's really just asking the right questions and your kids will talk. Um, they're just looking for you to engage in the conversation. And, you know, for those of us north of 50, um, you begin to realize that uh, there's going to come a time when uh, you don't need another car, you don't need another uh, driver, although I might, you know, I, uh, if the driver will get me 10 more yards, I might, I might go for that. But, uh, um, but, but it, is, it is your memories that you'll hold and you'll cherish and you'll, right. you'll remember and, and will have meaning in your life. Yes, yes, that's great counsel uh, and, and encouraging counsel as well from Jay and Laura Lafoon. Uh, today here on The Bottom Line Show, we're talking about their most recent book. It's called Ultimate Dad Night, 75 Amazing Activities for Dads and Kids. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Jay and Laura LaFoon are my guests today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Jay and Laura founded Celebrate Ministries about 30 years ago uh, to basically fulfill a passion that they had to help couples. And now they've got this brand new book out called Ultimate Dad Night, 75 Amazing Activities for Dads and Kids, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And I appreciate the fact that your ministry talks about celebrating. I mean, quite frankly, I'm sure there are a lot of dads who pick up this book and say, I'm just trying to survive being a dad, you know, let alone trying to thrive and celebrate this whole time. And I love the way you put this together. It's a fun activity type of thing, but then also there's some practical application too. It got, we were talking during the break about the fact that um, there are some people who are saying, okay, well, like I'm a grandparent, I have a 13-year-old granddaughter, I have a six-year-old grandson, and I've got two more in diapers and another one on the way. You know, so I mean, in terms of I'm going to have different, you know, each of those kids is going to have different needs. Talk about how we can use this book for kids who are in different seasons, you know, of your, your parenting experience. You bet. And, and, it, and again, this is a book that'll last, you know, the lifetime of your, of your parenting, because uh, like we talked about in the other segment, for the little ones, one of my favorites is that build that birdhouse because you can buy a kit very simple. Uh, it glues together. You paint it. Um, you put it someplace where your, your children can see birds coming in and out of it. Um, very, very simple and yet uh, profound talk about how God loves birds and, and cares for them. He cares for us. Uh, my favorite one for uh, the middle kind of age kids, the 8 to 12-year-olds, is to pull stuff out of your shed, pull stuff out of your garage, and set up a ninja course in your ninja, ninja not ninja, a ninja <laughs> course in your back. Um, you know, just uh, an, an obstacle course, for lack of a better word. It doesn't have to be anything, you know, super hard or difficult. But you know, run around that tree, and then then roll this tire, and then you know, uh, jump over this lawnmower, and. And, and we're going to time and see who can do it the fastest. Jump over a lawnmower. I'm not sure that would be a very uh, <laughs> Exactly. This is why it's a dad thing. We're not going to be right. safe. No. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not safe. My absolute favorite one is uh, probably only do it with teenagers, but um, a growing uh, activity uh, that's just sweeping the nation is axe throwing. Hmm. And there are, think of it like a bowling alley. There are, there are axe-throwing alleys popping up all over the country. Wow. Um, big cities, small towns. And you have your own little lane, and they teach you how to safely throw an axe. And then they have all these games of basically target practice with an axe. Hmm. And you want to talk about, you know, kids rolling their eyes, we're going to go do something with Dad. But then he takes them to axe-throwing. Who's going right. to roll their eyes then? That's... <laughs> there are also some that are quite so... Uh 
maybe dangerous sounding for moms to give dads these Men books. love danger. But, you know, <laughs> especially if you're a, a granddad or a, or an older father, and you're like, I don't, I don't know what to do with my seven or eight year old or my three year old. We have a three year old granddaughter and a one year old granddaughter, and one of the mm. things they love to do at this age is just get out the sidewalk chalk, you know, yeah. and if dad mm-hmm. or just get down on the ground with them and draw on the patio or the driveway. And you can talk about how different God created us or why do you like that color? You know, God created you to like that color, little simple things that you can do, you know, and then with the middle-aged ones that are, that are, um, easier, safer, I'll say, you know, just <laughs> the ice cream Sunday bar or the waffle bar, you know, again, easy stuff that's not going to take a lot of effort, but that will create some of those. And, and what dad doesn't want to do an ice cream bar, you know? Yeah. We're get out all the fixes and, and uh, make our own ice cream Sunday. I love it. That sounds good. Jay and Laura LaFoon are my guests today here on The Bottom Line, and their book is called Ultimate Dad Night, 75 Amazing Activities for Dads and Kids. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll ask this next question to both of you. Either, you know, feel free to answer or jump on top of this and talk over each other if you, if you want to, because, you know, in the, the give and take, the ebb and flow of everyday life, these activities are great. The bonding is great, you know, getting dad involved in this too. But I want you to talk about the importance of dad stepping up because we're living in a culture right now that, I mean, for lack of a better phrase, is just losing its mind. You know, when it comes to things that we grew up in a culture in America where, you know, gender roles were defined, marriage was defined, people had a reverence for God. And we've got, you know, younger kids coming up now in a time where nothing, it's all up for grabs and and basically the weight of the world is on their shoulders. Uh, Jay, talk about how this book, which is, uh, you call it a field guide for dads. I mean, it's a, you know, pocket-sized thing that'll fit, is, is really critical, especially when dad can help set the tone in give the kids some clarity and some assurance that the world isn't as crazy as it seems right now. I think what, what dad's biggest role is, is to model healthy living. If we can, uh, if we can do that for our children, if we just show them by the way we live, that we're healthy, that we're, we're, we, we have relationships, we have uh, a community, we have these things because they're important in our life. One of the biggest things a dad can do is put his phone down and mm. put it in another room. Mm-hmm. You know, when you've got your phone on you, there are four mi- billion people in the world that can, can contact you. Trust me, I just got a call from Poland this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but when you put that when you put that phone down, you know what you're saying to your child? No one's more important right now than you. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's powerful. I mm-hmm. you know, it, it just is so powerful to model that. Um and, and that's really sometimes all we can do is model yeah these healthy lifestyles, healthy choices for our kids, and uh, just pray they catch. And I think it's also important for, at, at least it was for me, to know, you know, when, you, when you're trying to talk to your children about God, being God the Father, if they don't have a father that has stepped up and shown them this healthy living and modeled for them what it is to have a relationship with God, then they don't understand that God wants to have a relationship with them. You know, when you say God the Father, they need to have a father that they can understand that concept of father. And so that's why I think it's really important that dads really step up and, and take the lead and spend some time with their kids so that their children can understand what that God the Father actually means. I think also often as dads, we want to do the remarkable. We want to do the, mm-hmm. the big mm-hmm. thing. We're going to take the family on a cruise, or we're going to go to Disney World. And those things are great. Don't get me wrong. Those things are wonderful. 
but it's what you do on a daily basis that will have the most impact on your kids. It's how you model your relationship with your wife. It's how you model your relationship with your, your neighbors. It's how you um, exist in your community as, as far as a contributing member. Those are the things that your kids, because it's your story then, and you, mm-hmm. cannot, you cannot discredit someone's story. Right. So to live a story worthy of, of being modeled. I'm talking with Jay and Laura LaFoon today here on The Bottom Line, a conversation getting a little deeper, a little more serious here about a fun book. The book is called Ultimate Dad Night, 75 Amazing Activities for Dads and Kids. And and Grandpa, if you're the one who's uh, doing some of the dad work or you want to have these types of experience with your grandkids too, I can vouch for this is a great book to have. And uh, I'm planning on using a lot of these things on, I mean, with my grandkids, Um, you know, especially, (laughs) especially since I'm getting all these tips from Jay and Laura LaFoon. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. The final of the activities is something you call a family bucket list. And something tells me that's the the big, okay, now we're going to go deeper. Now we're going to, you know, move forward. That just sounds like such a fun activity. I wish I had done that with my kids who are now all in their 30s and having their own families and stuff like that. Uh, to either of you, Jay or Laura, why is it so important for dad to say, hey guys, let's sit down and, you know, here's the, you know, explain the concept and then Let's just dream a little bit. Talk about why that's critical. I think it's a, um, a wonderful activity with your kids because it gets them thinking outside the box. You know, so often we think about, you know, what's, what's the normal person going to do? What's the average family going to do? And, and, and when you start thinking about bucket list items, um, you know, I'll be honest, Laura and I have a bucket list uh, to go to Italy. Uh, we were going to go there in the fall of 2020, but that never happened. Mm, um, mm-hmm. You know, it's so sometimes bucket list things don't happen, but the fun you have in dreaming about it and in, in, in talking about how you're going to make it happen, those are the kind of things that, that inspire your kids to think beyond just the normal everyday activities. Right, and when you sit down as a family and you just let everybody dream about what some an activity they may want to do, a trip they may want to take, a place they want to go, one of the things that we did do with our kids was we told them at an early age, when they could understand, about 10 or 11, that when they turned 16, that we would take them on a trip of their choosing. Um, because we traveled for a living at that time, we had a lot of uh, airline points, we had a lot mm-hmm. of hotel Help points. points. Sure. So it was something that we were going to be able to do relatively cheap. And, you know, our son chose to go to San Diego to do, he was a big disc golfer at the time. And okay. um, I can't think of our daughter. Oh, Chicago! I went. We took. I took my our daughter to Chicago. She is a big shopper, um, but mm. she also likes architect buildings. And and uh, so she really wanted to go to Paris. But I don't know why we didn't do that because I would have preferred <laughs> Paris over Chicago. But um, you know, allowing them to have some of those um, those fun trips. Maybe it's their senior trip. Maybe something they do in their in their senior year, or something that they do at a at a milestone age. You know, we're looking forward to taking our granddaughters when they turn old enough to a hotel in here in Michigan that does superhero and princess weekends. Oh, um, nice. But giving those, those opportunities where it's out of the norm, it's not just a waffle bar or a Sunday bar or jumping over a lawnmower, but you know, <laughs> it gives them that special feeling of, you know, this is a, this is a memory, this is a milestone in my, yeah. in my journey. Then if yeah. you and your spouse talk about it, um, you know, if you can make that come true, wow, what a dream for the kids. You know, if it is if it is their their dream to see the Grand Canyon, well, we could probably make that happen. And then 
boom, you've, you've become that hero again. Mm. And that's what it's all about. I mean, regardless of what the activities are, the fact that you're doing them, you're doing them together and making those memories is what's really going to leave the most lasting impression on these kids with regard to who they are, who they are in Christ and who they are in your families, too. And it's just a it's a wonderful resource. Jay and Laura LaFoon have been my guests today here on The Bottom Line. Their book is called Ultimate Dad Night, 75 Amazing Activities for Dads and Kids. And there's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jay, Laura, thank you so much uh, for spending time with us and uh, now go have some fun with those lawnmowers you were talking about earlier but uh, <laughs> thanks right. for being Thank with us today you're on the bottom line Thank have a great you. one bye-bye okay dads grandpas you've got your marching orders and we have a resource to help us out the book is called ultimate dad night 75 amazing activities for dads and kids and i would add grandpas to the list as well there's a link for the book up at the bottomlineshow.com and we have not one, not two, but three books to give away today here. It's an everyone Friday good news. Wait, okay, it's good news Friday, but we got stuff to give away. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, Jay and Laura LaFoon is the author, are the authors of the brand new book called Ultimate Dad's Night, 75 Amazing Activities for Dads and Kids. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Our friends at Preborn always do such a great job of keeping us up to date with bottom line show listeners, especially here in Southern California, who reach out to us and let us know that they are supporting Preborn. Uh, Milton in Lake Elsinore reached out over Labor Day weekend and made a gift of $840, a one-time donation, to support ultrasounds and the uh, making them available to women all throughout the Southland through Preborn. Uh, if you're wondering why $840, it costs $28 to provide an ultrasound. That's the images, the pregnancy test, the meeting with the technician to show you how far along you are, and then to explain what you're options are and 85% of the women who go to preborn clinics and get the ultrasound test done for free to them we pay for it. I mean, we as supporters of preborn, uh, 85% of the women choose life for their children, either to become a mother or to release that child for adoption. Do what Milton did. He picked 30. I, I'm not what sure the, the math was behind that, but he picked 30 kids to sponsor 30 appointments at $28 a piece. $840 donation, one-time tax deductible. Make your gift today. Uh, 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229, or go online to kbrightradio.com. You'll see a picture of a couple of cute uh, newborn twins. Click that banner, make your donation today. My thanks again to Jay and Laura LaFoon for joining me today for the past half hour here on this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. The founders of Celebrate Ministries and the authors of this brand new great book for dads, so for the dad in your life, if you've got a, an adult son who's a dad and looking for fun things to do, I know who I'm going to be giving this book to, a couple of copies, and I'm going to get one for myself too, because grandpas, we can borrow from their knowledge. The book is called Ultimate Dad Night, 75 Amazing Activities for Dads and Kids. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Not one, not two, not but three, actually. I want to keep giving away more. Uh, three copies of the book that we're giving away today here on this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line Show. Would love to place one under your hands, either for you and your family or for maybe that adult child, your son or son-in-law, who is uh, looking for some help, looking for a way to, you know, make the most positive impact on the lives of his kids. 800-227-5278. 
800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, this is something I mentioned this earlier with Jay and Laura, and I wanted to reiterate it here at the close of this half hour. And that is the fact that there are a lot of dads who are doing a great job. Dads in these generations are way more involved, it seems, than dads were in previous generations because the dad of previous generations was a lead by example. Do as I say, you know, not as I do necessarily, but you knew that what your dad was doing at the home was was worth it a father who had a job who went to work every day who provided for the family who uh you know didn't necessarily shower mom with affection and kisses and wonderful words but you know was basically reliable and dependable and for some dads that was all they could do if they didn't have a good example at home growing up i know my dad did a tremendous job considering his dad didn't give him much to work with and it was my job to build upon that But in the culture we're living in right now, dads really need our support. They need our prayers. And the reason they do is because masculinity has been deemed toxic by the woke component of our current culture. Biblical masculinity is life-giving. It's life-affirming. It's part of the glue glue that holds the backbone of society to get together. But you find a lot of people who have one thing in common, and that's on the left. Well, they have two things in common. Number one, they've been hurt badly in areas that God never intended for them to be hurt. And two, the way that they're healing their wounds is by getting together with other people who got hurt and creating their own little kind of wine fest, if you will. A book like Ultimate Dad's Night is a good step in the right direction because masculinity, fatherhood, all very important aspects of what makes a healthy society. That is good news. And that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, coming up next. For those who remain on the network, a COVID story that actually has very, very powerful implications for us, especially as we face potentially another election strain of COVID coming up in 2024. The details coming up next as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and uh, welcome back to the people who've been listening for the past hour. Of course, the Bottom Line Show runs uh, every weekday from 3 to 4.30 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 to 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time. And, uh, of course, on demand, if you go to thebottomlineshow.com or Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, any of the places where you can find us. Um, we are still taking your calls. We've got a Good News Friday giveaway today. Uh, well, just a fun book, very practical and useful book by Jay and Laura LaFoon. The book is called Ultimate Dad Night, 75 Amazing Activities for Dads and Kids. The link is up at thebottomlineshow.com, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, before the break, in hour number one, we were talking about a good news story out of Southern California where Orange Unified School District, which is I'm partial to because my mom taught there for 26 years, OUSD passed an ordinance that requires teachers. There's a, now there's a chain of command, if you will. If a child uh, comes to school and says, I, you know, I know my birth certificate, my ID cards say that I'm a boy, but I really want to be a girl and call me by a female name. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because more and more kids are actually wrestling with this. And it is a very, very serious issue to deal with. Uh, one in five kids in the Zoomer generation, not the boomers, but the Zoomers, Generation Z, identify as transgender. 
either that they want to go through the whole hormone replacement, et cetera, et cetera, change by name, or they know somebody who is in that category and they identify that way to support them. That solidarity is huge. We were, I was talking with Dr. Alex McFarland about this not too long ago, and he's got a new book out on Bible questions and answers. We're hoping to have him on in October. But he was talking about the fact that the idea of misgendering, you know, the, the, uh, if someone says that they are a, uh, uh, if, if, if they were born female, but they identify as male, for example, if you refer to them using the wrong pronouns, some states now have made it illegal to do so. And something like 65% of Generation Z are in favor of laws that actually would potentially put someone in jail for misgendering. So the idea that, uh, you know, we were just talking to Jay and Laura LaFoon about Ultimate Dad Night and knowing that 20% of Generation Z is saying, hey, wait a minute, don't give me that dad and you know, man and masculinity and type of stuff because uh, we don't identify that way. You know, they, using the they pronoun, it's just, it, it, it's a very real issue. Teaching biblical masculinity, pe- teaching biblical femininity, very, very important. Speaking the truth in love about the conditions of the world, essential. And uh, the next good news story we have involves something that pertains to COVID, uh, which I, I know a lot. We, bottom line listeners have had a very interesting relationship with COVID. In year one, the first six to eight months, I'd say we as a collective were somewhat skeptical, cautiously optimistic that it wasn't that bad, that it was going to be treatable and not putting a lot of hope and faith in the vaccine. And then the election happened, November 3rd, 2020, change of regime, all the political theater that went on with that. And there was a good three months or so where it seemed like we could have done a COVID feature every day and you as bottom line listeners would have been right there for it. Since then, I think most people have made their decisions as to where they land, either to vaccinate or not vaccinate, to treat or not treat. And as someone who did not vaccinate, got COVID two years into it, I think, well, well, let's see. No, it was the, uh, yeah, two years into the, uh, it was June of 2022. I actually contracted uh, COVID and pneumonia simultaneously. Wound up going to the emergency room because the pneumonia part of it was so bad. I had just a burning sore throat. You know, when you've got just basic mucus in your mouth, a little bit of spittle and swallowing like I did just now, and that hurts to the point where you just can't take it anymore. It's interesting because Lisa and I are not the type who just rush out to the doctor for whatever we can find over the counter things or whatever. I had had to miss a couple of days of the program and some other voicing things that I was doing. And I remember I was standing in the bedroom that morning looking at her and I couldn't do the National Crawford Roundtable podcast that morning. And I said, honey, I think I need to go to the emergency room. I don't know if I can get a doctor's appointment right away. And she said, are you sure? I mean, you don't, don't you just want to just lay down and see if you can sleep it off? And I said, it's hurting me too much to talk to you right now. Let's go. And I went and wound up spending about four or five hours getting some breathing treatments. And they put me on some pretty strong uh, antibiotics and an inhaler to help with the pneumonia part. And the COVID part went away too. But I'm very grateful because of my heart condition that I didn't try an experimental vaccine that may or may not have helped. And now as we see more and more of the stories that are coming out with regarding people who got the COVID-19 vaccine and um, well, just, just some of the misinformation that was used to coerce people into doing something. I, I, I've long maintained 
if that was your position and you felt good about your decision, I'm certainly not going to say no. I mean, people get flu shots every year. I don't. I've only had them twice in my life, and both times I got the flu really bad. So, I mean, I, I'm not a flu shot person, but I certainly don't begrudge people uh, getting a flu shot. Uh, pneumonia vaccine was something I'd never heard of before uh, until I had my open heart surgery, and they told me I couldn't get out of the hospital without getting a pneumonia shot. So I got it, and uh, I got the shot. I didn't get pneumonia. And uh, people are getting RSV vaccinations. People get HPV vaccinations. And I don't agree with those at all. There's no medical proof that I have seen that the vaccine for HPV actually stop. It's a virus. It doesn't necessarily stop it. The idea was, you know, we could stop the spread of STDs. Uh, science doesn't like to talk about the fact that women are much greater risk getting uh, this type of uh, problem than men. Um, whereas a guy can get maybe three or four different venereal diseases, a woman can get up to 30 different types of them. Um, but there's no vaccine that can actually help stop that from happening in that regard. You have to you know, practice safer sexual relations and things of that nature. But when it came to COVID, it did seem very interesting to me that the push for the medical community and the media was get a vaccine. And when you talked about in our family, we upped the, uh, we tried to make sure we got walks every day, you know, get some natural vitamin D, took vitamin D supplements, elderberry, zinc, uh, you name it, apple cider vinegar, uh, just started adding cranberry into our regimen as well to build immune system and help with urinary tract stuff. I mean, there are a lot of supplements you can take, eat healthy, get a lot of rest, drink a lot of water, uh, safe distances, wash your hands. I mean, there's lots of things you could do to stop the spread of any kind of virus. But as more and more of the cases are coming out and uh, medical reports are saying, hey, look, remember that whole thing about the masks and how they would stop the spread of it? Well, anybody who's got a communicable disease that's got sneezing and coughing involved, if you wear a mask, there's a good chance that you're not going to get what you sneeze on other people onto other people. But if you don't have any symptoms and there's nothing really wrong, wearing a mask 12 hours a day uh, really limits your oxygen intake. If you do get sick, you're basically just rebreathing that old crummy air. And maybe the mask mandate isn't the best thing to help. Or in the case of, you know, the, the, the reports, you know, COVID has claimed over a million lives or two million lives or whatever. And the CDC put out a report in June of 2020 that said, look, right now, of the people who are dying and COVID is in their system, 94% of those people have another comorbidity. And that's redundant, I realize, but because you know, a comorbidity just simply means, as I understand it, that you have a condition in your body. Everybody has a death date. I mean, we're, we're at some point, you know, it's appointed once for a person to die and then the judgment, scripture reminds us. But anybody who's not in great shape, you know, if you're overweight, got uh, high blood pressure, diabetes, you know, hypertension, heart disease, uh, name it. Any of those, and you get COVID, you are at much greater risk of dying sooner than if you just had the, the one ailment. And that was a fairly, fairly factual and accurate statement that I, I wish more people would have heard from the media. What we heard in the media was COVID claims another life. Somebody died of COVID, died of COVID, died of COVID, died of COVID. And even the New York Times earlier this year had to go back and say, wait a minute, the phrase should have been died with COVID, not died from COVID. The guy who died in a car crash and had COVID in his system and the government, I mean, part of the time the government had Donald Trump in the White House and part of the time was Joe Biden. So, I mean, this was equal opportunity. But 
there were incentives for medical facilities, for research labs at universities and things like that, ostensibly to find a cure for COVID. But when you see the lockdowns and you know how many people were dying in New York, we've discovered that part of the problem that they had with COVID wasn't that the infection rate was so high, but it was that 50% of the people who got COVID actually got it in the hospital. If they went in with COVID symptoms but didn't test positive, they would be hospitalized and half the people who had that happen to them wound up getting COVID. That putting someone on a ventilator with COVID actually just kept regurgitating your old crummy COVID infected <laughs> breath back and forth in your body and, and led to premature death. That Andrew Cuomo, when he was governor, was basically sending people who were elderly and had COVID to nursing homes where it spread more rapidly. People who were working in these homes weren't being tested as diligently initially anyway, and they became spreaders. The super spreader event, we were told, remember Thanksgiving dinner, back to school, the football game, uh, th those were quick, quickly scrapped with the, yeah, but we need to protest George Floyd and we need to <laughs> wait. Okay, so 50,000 people in downtown New York or in Minneapolis or LA getting together, that's fine because we need to protest, but 20 people in your Thanksgiving living room is a super spreader event. I mean, there was just too much inconsistency. And basically what it boiled down to was those who were, I mean, you've got three different types of Americans. Those who were pro-vaccine, those who were anti-vaccine, and those who were pro-mandate or anti-mandate, so four different types. Count me in the anti-mandate category. If you want to get jabbed, get jabbed. If you don't want to get jabbed, don't get jabbed but please don't lock down. And I've got statistics that we'll look at on the other side of this break that will, um, that will kind of fuel my passion, you know, help you understand it a little better. A New York judge has ruled in the case of some teachers who were fired because they refused the mandate, which was you either get a jab or you can't teach. And now that, uh, you know, religious exemptions were overlooked and science was being largely ignored. Now their case uh, has given us some food for thought as we anticipate that there will probably be some kind of shutdown attempt again by the government in late 23 and early 24, which will bode well, they hope, for the, uh, uh, for the Democrats to win re-election in the presidential election. Let's talk about New York City and the teachers who are getting back pay and getting their jobs back simply because they refused the COVID-19 vaccine. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. 
Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, still hearing the phones ringing in the background for the Jay and Laura LaFoon book, Ultimate Dad Night, 75 Amazing Activities for Dads and Kids, 800-227-5278. We have three copies of this book we're giving away, by the way. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. The good news in this Good News Friday story regarding COVID vaccines involves a group of teachers who say that they were fired because their concerns about the vaccine and the religious exemption they were seeking were denied. Here's the story. 10 employees fired by the New York City Department of Education for refusing the COVID-19 vaccine must be reinstated with back pay. New York State Supreme Court Judge Ralph J. Porzio held that the city's denials of religious accommodation to certain employees were unlawful, arbitrary, and capricious. Now, the case was called DiCapia versus the city of New York. It concerned school principals, teachers, and other educators who sued after city officials rejected their claims for a religious exemption to the vaccine mandate. Here's a portion of the judge's opinion. Quote, this court sees no rational basis for not allowing unvaccinated classroom teachers in amongst an admitted population of primarily unvaccinated students. As such, the decision to summarily deny the classroom teachers amongst the panel petitioners based on an undue hardship without any further evidence of individualized analysis is arbitrary, capricious, and unreasonable. As such, each classroom teacher amongst the panel petitioners is entitled to a religious exemption from the vaccine mandate. The mandate, by the way, went into effect October 1st, 2021. It was in effect through February 10th, 2023. It was for all workers in the New York Department of Education. And basically, there were a lot of workers who wound up, thousands of them, who wound up losing their jobs under this policy. The lead attorney for the plaintiffs said this is a watershed moment uh, for the teachers. And basically, this was a, uh, uh, a news release that came out through Robert Kennedy Jr.'s uh, organization. Uh, the ruling in favor of the fired educators did not extend to petitioners who had not initially applied for a religious exemption under the city's vaccine mandate. Uh, the court agreed that the employees were not required to submit applications through the prior unlawful process, but they still declined to award relief to these plaintiffs on the grounds that there were contested issues of fact as to whether or not they submitted applications under the new process. Uh, it's an error. It, they're going to be making a motion on their behalf and moving ahead. Um, they tried to make this a class action lawsuit, and uh, the court ruled against that, saying this is overbroad, as it were. Um, it's interesting because one of the teachers who was a plaintiff in this case, a guy called Michael Kane, uh, said, well, the ruling's bittersweet. It's an important step in the right direction, but it's justice for 10 of us. It didn't even scratch the surface of the injustice suffered by New York City as a result of the illegal mandate. Now, people go back and forth and say, well, Roger, why are you anti-vaccine? I'm not anti-vaccine. I am very much in favor of vaccines that do work. I'm also in favor of the clinical trials that are necessary to create said vaccine. Did you know that we recently agreed to, patented and approved by the FDA, a vaccine for malaria? Do you have any idea how long we have been battling malaria? And one of the treatments for malaria, I believe it's ivermectin, turned out to be a treatment for uh, COVID-19. 
But here's the problem. It took 60 years to come up with a treatment for malaria. Why not take your time with this? Well, because it's a crisis and people are... But are they? In June of 2020, three months after the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention lined up with the World Health Organization and said we have a global pandemic because of COVID-19. Three months after that edict was issued, the Center for Disease Control reported that 94% of the people who were testing positive for COVID-19, if they did wind up losing their lives, it was because they also had a comorbidity like obesity, hypertension, high blood pressure, diabetes, something like that. 6% of Americans, they told us in June of 2020, if they contracted COVID, would die. And there were people running around saying, I can't shake your hand, I can't hug you, we didn't see our family at Easter. I mean, there was a lot of concern. I know a lot of people who got the jab, much to their dismay, because they were told, well, look, your mom has cancer, your parents are elderly, if you ever want to see them again, you have to get this. And wound up suffering some horrible side effects. This is anecdotal, but I have kids who are all in the millennial generation Z world, and the number of people in their group that were the young ladies have had menstrual cycles that never end. Young men who aren't able to father children, maybe because they side effects from the vaccine. But never did you see anything from the CDC that said, here's how you treat this. All you got for, with regard to treatment was ridicule. What do you mean you're taking ivermectin? What do you mean you're taking this horse antihistamine? What do you mean you're taking, oh, that's crazy. I mean, that's nuts. Oh, that's, that's a lie and it's a disinformation until you find out, hey, maybe it actually works. I mean, when I was diagnosed with COVID, it was also diagnosing having pneumonia. And it's conceivable that one may have exacerbated the other. But you know what I was given for treatment? They gave me treatment for pneumonia. And I was told in the teeny, teeny, teeny fine print at the bottom of my diagnosis page, by the way, um, what you're being treated for will also treat COVID in your system. Now, at that time, I had been, I was overweight was out of shape. I was dealing with high blood pressure because of my heart. I mean, I was on blood pressure medication. It's part of the reason why I didn't. I figured I will take my chances. <laughs> if I, I was just going to trust God. But in New York and in California, businesses were shut down, mandates. How many people lost their jobs because the states went full rogue communist Marxist manifesto? And meanwhile, states like Texas and Florida did not have state mandates for getting the vaccine. And people who were trying to find cures, once instead of saying, we're going to keep you from getting COVID, it's what do you do when you contract it? And I know from experience, when I contracted COVID along with my pneumonia, the treatment they gave me for pneumonia was enough to conquer both. Full stop. So why were so many people castigated, vilified, had their lives and careers ruined. There was a doctor in Florida, ironically, who wound up losing his medical license to the American Medical Association because he actually had the audacity to say ivermectin is turning out to be a proven treatment for COVID. Don't just trust the vaccine. Get some actual treatment once you get COVID. How many people who got the jab thinking they wouldn't get COVID all of a sudden got COVID? But how do these states stack up? And what is the new CDC information that we have that's really good news, but it makes us a little more skeptical about the next time this happens. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. 
833-850-BABY. That's the number I've been telling you about for the past year here on The Bottom Line to call our friends at Preborn and make a tax-deductible donation to save lives. You want a sure thing? Let me give you a couple of guarantees. First, when you call Preborn and make a tax-deductible donation of $28, you are providing an ultrasound appointment for a woman who is facing a pregnancy that perhaps she didn't think was going to happen. Or maybe she's in between insurance and she wants to get more than just a, you know that pregnancy test that she takes at the store. Preborn will do the testing for her. They'll do the ultrasound appointment for her and then tell her what her options are because a lot of women, quite frankly, aren't quite sure. They're told by the world, you're either going to have the baby or you're going to have an abortion. But there's the adoption option and Preborn can explain adoption. Preborn can explain how to go through the attorneys. Preborn can explain all the resources available to you as an expectant mother, whether you are married or not. So we encourage you to make a donation. $28 provides one ultrasound appointment, $280 provides $10, and $15,000 one-time donation to Preborn will give a new ultrasound machine to a Preborn clinic that needs one. Call 833-850-BABY today, 833-850-2229, or click the banner at kbrightradio.com. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. The good news that we're discussing is the fact that 10 teachers, or I should say former teachers in New York City, part of the New York City Education Association or their Department of Education, who had been fired for refusing to get the COVID jab, if you will. They used religious exemption, the exemption as their defense. Uh, the Board of Education said no, and they fired him. Uh, a judge has awarded them not only their teachers' jobs back, but they were fired prior to early, excuse me, late 2021. They've got about two years worth of back pay plus interest coming their way as well. And I mean, it's it's nice to see justice for them. It's unfortunate that so many thousands of other people uh, have yet to get their day in court. But the CDC recently released statistics. Now, remember, if you look at people, I mean, obviously, California has a bigger population than New York or Florida or Texas. So if you take the number of population per 100,000 and look at positive test rate or infection rate for COVID, if you look at mortality rate, if you look at hospitalization rate, you'll find that from New York to California to Florida to Texas, all of those rates per 100,000 citizens are exactly the same. I mean, almost to the number. And yet, how much business was destroyed in California because of Governor Mussolini's uh, lockdown measures? How many elderly died in New York on Andrew Cuomo's watch because of his negligence and just sending them off to nursing homes? One percent of the population of the United States, age 65 and older, died in the first year of the pandemic. And the misinformation, the lies, remember the doctors who were actually coming up with treatments? And they were called liars. But then when the news media would say a million people died of COVID, and that wasn't true. For the million people who died with COVID, not from COVID, oops, my bad, according to the New York Times, only 6% of those people during the pandemic actually died from COVID. Now that means 60,000 people. But it gets worse because the CDC has now updated that number. It wasn't 94% of the people died with something a comorbidity, it was 99%. That means for the over a million people who died in the U.S. from a COVID and scenario, 10,000 people died from COVID and everybody else died from a comorbidity and COVID exacerbated it. 
That's a huge distinction to make. Same that we had to go through during the HIV AIDS issue where people thought, oh, I can't sit on the same toilet as somebody else who has HIV because we're going to die. Realizing that no, and then the activists who would say, well, it's, it's not that bad. Nobody dies of HIV. Well, you don't die of HIV. You die because the acquired immune deficiency syndrome that you have in your body, AIDS, makes it impossible for you to fight off infection. COVID is a comorbid disease. If you are severely overweight, have difficulty breathing, and COVID gets into your lungs, then the COVID will make it even more difficult for you to breathe, and you have a greater chance of dying than not. Lying about the, inf- the data is just a huge breach of trust with the legacy media and the United States, well, the world population. But beyond that, too, the fact that the CDC and other medical organizations lied about hand sanitizers, distancing, masks, touching things, and let's not forget, too, treatments. Only now are we beginning to see the same people who made the vaccine saying, oh, by the way, we have a pill, we have a shot. If you get COVID, you can get our treatment. Uh, Mark my words, you will see another pandemic in 2024 if the Democrats think that they need one to try to hold the White House. But the good news of the gospel is the truth is available to all of us and we can meditate on it. We don't have to gloat with it. We can celebrate it, but we can share it with people too. Not because we need to be right and to win the argument, but because it's the right thing to do. The truth will set you free. That is good news and that's the bottom line.